As you know, we're in the middle of extensive uh, military exercises with the US, mainly in northern Australia, and there's been a, a fatal consequence, of course, with the US helicopter crash in the Tiwi Islands. But why are we doing all this? Now, you're about to hear not from some left-wing ratbag, but from a self-described, small-l, liberal conservative who thinks our strategic alliance with the US is misplaced. Sam Rogovine is director of the Lowy Institute's International Security Program, and Sam's uh, written a book called The Echidna Strategy, Australia's Search for Power and Peace. Welcome, Sam, and introduce us to your echidna. Ah, well, thank you, Philip. It's very nice to be with you. Well, the echidna metaphor is really designed to evoke something similar to what um, some of your listeners may have heard of in regard to Taiwan, which adopts uh, some, uh, porcupine strategies, it's been called. And a long time ago, Lee Kuan Yew used to talk about uh, Singapore as being a poison shrimp, which is to say, you know, small and harmless, but very painful to swallow. Uh, and I'm trying to evoke something slightly similar here. The well, of course, the, the echidna. The echidna is only a, really a threat to uh, to termites. But by right. golly, I've got a few of them wandering around the farm, and they're tough little cookies. Yeah. Yes, and I think the the other thing that I'm trying to evoke here is to say that. Um, uh, echidnas are only dangerous to predators when those predators get close. And, and, and that really gets to one of the core arguments of the book, which is that when it comes to defending ourselves against a rising China, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not hawkish about China, but I'm certainly uh, not naive about China's military power either. I think it's, uh, uh, it's you know, it's done an enormous amount to improve its military capabilities over the last 30 years. But really what I want to argue is that our single biggest defence asset when it comes to China is distance. We are a long, long way away from China. Beijing's closer to Berlin than it is to Sydney. And at the moment, we're pursuing a defence strategy that effectively tries to compress the distance between us and China because we're buying or proposing to buy a lot of long-range capabilities, in particular the nuclear-powered submarines. Well, well let's right, get on right. to that. Let's get mm. on to that a little later. But I agree with your proposition that our geography is our single biggest mm. defence asset, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. So, uh, look, th th there's a very simple uh, illustration of this point in the book, which is that when it comes to, you know, when it comes to projecting military power, the further away your target is, the more difficult and the more expensive it becomes to attack it. Uh, and yet the, 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 the weight of military power is a constant. So if you want to put 500 kilograms of high explosives over the next hill, that's easy and cheap. If you want to do it 500 kilometres away, you need a military aircraft. If you want to do it 5,000 kilometres away, you need a huge intercontinental ballistic missile. But at all of those levels along that continuum, the actual military effect you achieve is a constant. It's still 500 kilograms of explosive. And so distance actually protects us a great deal and we should be exploiting that distance. Now, Sam, you argue there's a fundamental wrong assumption underpinning our strategy and security policies. And that wrong assumption is that America's security is threatened by China's rise. 
Yeah, so I think since the end of the Cold War, the United States has been able to avoid what is really a core question, and that is to say, why are we here? Why is the United States uh, a major security partner and a major security player in the Asia-Pacific region? And the reason it's been able to avoid that question is because being in Asia has been relatively cheap and risk-free. The the troop deployments in Japan and Korea, for instance, are heavily subsidised by the host countries, and there were no enemies to actually uh, uh, threaten the United States and threaten its presence in Asia. But, of course, those days are now over. They're well and truly over, given China's rise. So that fundamental question now arises. Well, you make the point point that China's rise... To, uh, to superpower status, challenges America's national pride more than its physicality. Yeah. So the, the United States is not physically a threat from China, as impressive as China's military build-up has been over the last 30 years. The United States itself is an incredibly secure country, uh, a, a massive ocean that separates it from China. The United States, you know, for all its internal troubles, I think has all the ingredients for long-term Uh, economic growth. It will be a superpower for the indefinite future. A large military, thousands of nuclear weapons, it is not fundamentally threatened by China's rise. And so therefore, in turn, I think we as allies, not just us, but its other allies, have to question, well, what what kind of sacrifices should we really expect America to make on our behalf? Sam, I'm going to raise an heretical issue, and that is that I've doubted over the years that I've questioned the assumption that the US will really be there for us. Yeah, look, and and I, I share that doubt, and it's not because I doubt uh, American power. It's more that I doubt American resolve. America has no pressing reason. I mean, when, when you're taking on a country as big and as powerful of China as China, you really need an existential reason. And the United States lacks one at present. As I said, it will be an incredibly secure country no matter how uh, powerful China becomes. And therefore, I think we need to look at ourselves and, and, and come to the conclusion that we'll need to do more of this ourselves. Okay. Given the reality of China's growing military power, should we be ignoring that or changing tack? No, we should definitely not be ignoring that. And and China's military power, I think, is the most uh, serious threat to Australia's security, uh, really, since since the Second World War. More serious than the Soviet Union, which was never a uh, you know a truly uh, a truly massive Pacific power uh, in the way that China is now becoming. And of course, combined with that, uh, you know, the Soviet Union's objectives were always very uh, m- much more centred towards the European theatre, whereas China, of course, is an Asia-Pacific power and, and therefore has ambitions primarily in this region. So, no, we should not ignore it. We should take it extremely seriously. Uh, and so this, is, th- this book is not intended as some kind of apologia for China or, uh, or an attempt to downplay the level of the threat. It's really a, a question, uh, an attempt to ask questions about the way we are uh, we are addressing that threat. Now, you're going to be accused of political blasphemy because, in fact, you're, argue, you're arguing that aligning ourselves with the US actually makes us more vulnerable. Well, yes, because, 
at the moment we are well first of all let's acknowledge that uh that Australia is now not only embarking on this massive submarine project, but we've announced over the last uh, year or so two specific new initiatives w- which will bring American uh, American bombers and American nuclear-powered submarines to Australian shores where they'll, there'll be a permanent r- rotational presence, as it's being called, not a base but a rotational presence in uh, for submarines and for bombers, which means that for the first time since World War II, uh, the United States will, if there is a war, fly operational missions from Australian territory. And that inevitably makes Australia a target. Uh, I think that's unavoidable that, uh, you know, should the United States be flying bombing missions from Australian soil, if you're China, then clearly uh, that seems self-evident to me that those that base will become a target. Sam, I think it's self-evident to a huge number of ordinary punters, which is why there's not been a, a hugely enthusiastic endorsement in public opinion for the AUKUS deal. Well, I mean, actually, the, the Lowy Institute polling suggests that there is there is reasonable support for the AUKUS deal. Uh, we we uh, put our poll out just a, a month or two ago, and uh, there is reasonable there is consistent warmth. It should be said towards the U.S. alliance as a whole, uh, and even you know warmth towards uh, the AUKUS deal. Even though, of course. Uh, people balk at the cost, and it is eye-watering the uh, the amount of money that's being proposed to spend uh, between two hundred and sixty-eight and three hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars on uh, on the submarine project alone. So, what should we be doing, Sam? Well, so the Echidna strategy really proposes what I would call a a statecraft-led response. Um, it is. It is easy to think about a defence problem, that a defence problem should have a purely defence solution, but I really don't think that's the case here. So if we begin with the premise that distance is our single biggest defence asset, then I think the most urgent priority is to preserve that distance. And the way we do that is really through our foreign policy rather than through our defence policy. And in the book, I lay out three priorities. So the first one is that we establish ourselves as far and away the leading power in the Pacific Islands region so that no foreign country, China in particular, could ever hope to establish military bases in that area. And I think we've already made a lot of progress in that regard, starting from uh, the Turnbull government and onwards under uh, successive governments. The second priority, which we've made far less progress on, is that I think we ought to pursue a far more ambitious and intimate strategic partnership with Indonesia. Indonesia is really the key for Australia here because it's it's a nascent great power and it shares our geography and it shares one key strategic interest with Australia, which is to say that neither of us want China to be the dominant power in maritime Southeast Asia. In saying so, that, we should also acknowledge, should we not, that uh, Indonesia is not all that thrilled about AUKUS. Yes, that's true. Um, and uh, yes, I think we would have been far better off with uh, you know pursuing uh, conventional submarine capability rather than AUKUS. Uh, I, I do think, though, that uh, it's also worth acknowledging that Indonesia is far from being politically in the kind of place that um, you know that I'm describing, where it could accept uh, something akin to a uh, security treaty with Australia, effectively an alliance 
We'd never call it that because of Indonesian political sensitivities, but that's effectively what I'm calling for in this book, something akin to an alliance. Politically, Indonesia is still far away from that, uh, uh, from agreeing to anything remotely like that. But uh, you know, we 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 have to we have to be ready for when the Indonesians are ready for us to consider something like that. And I think we also have to assume or hope uh, that uh, at some point Indonesia will change its mind. And I think it has to because the pressure that uh, that it's being put under by um, by China's ambitions is is great enough that at some point. Uh, Indonesia will have to uh, emerge as a real leader in, in, in the Southeast Asian region. Sam, uh, shouldn't we also be trying to improve our leadership in the Pacific? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and again, th- this is more a statecraft-led strategy and I would argue an economic strategy. So wh- one idea I've floated in the book, and it's not original, uh, others have come uh, to this conclusion before me, is that we should be pursuing something like an equivalent to uh, the European Union in the Pacific Islands region. So in the short term, we're doing all the right things in terms of funding our uh, our presence more and, and, and making sure that we remain the partner of choice for the Pacific Islands region. But there will always be competition with China. The only way to end that competition is, I think, through a kind of economic union that makes it more or less impossible for any of the members of that union to defect from it. Uh, and that is effectively what uh, what the EU model does. It'll be very different in the Pacific, but nevertheless, I think that's a that's a useful working model for us to aim towards. Here's the biggie: a new regional order based around a a coming together of the region's great powers. Yeah, look, it's a biggie because we're so far away from that right now. But yes, what what I advocate for in the book is uh, for Australia to be a champion for an idea which ultimately may exclude Australia. That is to say, uh, a kind of concert of powers style arrangement which brings together all the big Asian players, the United States, China, Russia, Japan, India, and importantly, for Australia's purposes, I think Indonesia should be in that group as well. It would be the smallest of, uh, of those great powers. But nevertheless, uh, as I said earlier, Indonesia is a nascent great power and for Australia's purposes, it is very important for a major Southeast Asian player to be part of this group. And the sole purpose of that group would be essentially to resolve the disputes among them in a peaceful way because, you know, ultimately what I conclude is that the, the single biggest danger to, to, to all of us, to, uh, to the well-being of, of Australians but to the entire region, is war between the great powers and especially war between the United States and China. Now, you've certainly put the proverbial cat among the pigeons in the uh, defence and security world. Are you feeling the pressure? No, not at all. I mean, I've had a... I've had similar questions over the last uh, week or so since the book was released. And, well, first of all, I must say, I mean, I I work in a wonderful organisation, the Lowy Institute, which has been incredibly supportive of me, even though members of of the institute, uh, including its executive director, have very different uh, views from mine. But, uh, look, uh, I'm by no means a kind of exile or... uh, uh, you know, I am not feeling any pressure of uh, of that kind. Uh, I'm I'm very lucky to live in a country which allows for this kind of open debate and to work in an organisation which encourages it. Good on you, Sam. I've been talking to Sam Rogovine, 
who's director of the Lowy Institute's International Security Program, and I welcome his heretical views. His book is The Echidna Strategy, Australia's Search for Power and Peace. It's published by uh, La Trobe University Press and our friends at Black Inc. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.